Hey, thanks for downloading the podcast. If you want to listen live, all you have to do is download the iHeartRadio app and search for Fantasy Sports Radio Network. Also, if you want to catch this show on video, be sure to check out Zumo TV, channel 719. That's where you can find SportsGrid's Fantasy Sports Network. Enjoy the show, and thanks so much for listening. All right, everybody, hour number two of the early line here on SportsGrid, giving you the edge. I'm Dane Martinez. He's Kevin Walsh. And we've been talking about Dalvin Cook, a very interesting potential holdout situation. This is a name we talked about, Kevin, on the horizon. Like, what do the teams do? I remember a a week or two ago being like, and if this running back comes up with the demands, would the team cave or not? We talked about guys like Joe Mixon, Alvin Kamara, and Dalvin Cook, and now we're in this situation. If you were the Vikings, would you cave to Dalvin Cook? I just think, I think they're in such a difficult spot here because you you look at, they they need to me, Dalvin Cook for this season. But if they to- think they can take their shot this year. Right, and I, I mean, to some degree, they they probably should. I mean, they there's I don't I know, yeah, I know people that think the Vikings are going to you know win that division this right. year for sure. Without Dalvin Cook, it's tough. But you look at it next year, and there's a I mean, just a ridiculous amount of backs that you listed off for us in our number one that fit the description. And to me, I think what is really dangerous about this situation is again that little piece of reporting that Adam Schefter did where basically Dalvin Cook's team is frustrated that the Vikings are making it seem that they are a quarterback first team, which again is preposterous on its face, but the fact that they have pretty much created an environment where seemingly everybody is bothered by Kirk Cousins, yeah. but they keep paying Kirk Cousins, it doesn't sound like the best environment for team success and this whole situation now regardless of how it's worked out to me makes me skeptical of the vikings okay and that's fair i'm gonna ask you to put your gm hat though on again okay because you explained a lot of good stuff but if you were (laughs) sitting in the seat if i want the next word to be yes or no out of you are you gonna extend dalvin cook or are you in essence saying no and putting the ball in his court to actually follow through on his holdout are you playing hardball with dalvin cook i am i'm saying no i'm not extending okay and hopefully and you're saying show up bro and if not then miss your game checks and you you figure it out okay and taking that risk right we've seen lev bell uh go the route with it we saw melvin gordon miss six seven eight games with it we saw ezekiel elliott though not fully do it all the way to week one and if Dalvin Cook does come back before week one he will be a top six running back in my ranks for fantasy football you talk about also kind of people are uh bothered by Kirk Cousins well we also saw a lot of stuff yesterday the NFL has announced a lot of their social distance stuff and their requirements and people won't have to be any closer than six feet to Kirk Cousins in the locker room okay Kev because we've come on out and it sounds like listen six feet of social distance in locker rooms. It looks like trying to do as many virtual meetings as possible instead of actually coming together in the meeting rooms. I've seen even teams starting to mess with like the VR glasses to get virtual reps in practice. That could become a bigger thing. They're gonna disinfect the equipment, right? Shoulder pads and all that stuff, which you know is more equipment than say in basketball. Right. So this is a real thing to have that equipment uh, disinfected and cleaned. Remember, we talked about the sneakers that the basketball guys would have to wear and those being clean. They've set a limit of 15 as a max in a room indoors together. So how's the defense going to have a meeting with coaches? You know, how's the team unit going to have a meeting? That's interesting to me. And then they also kind of outline tiers of access, right? Like these kind of employees will be able to be in the facilities now. These others, you know, support staff. So that's interesting. I thought it was Uh, They didn't mention much about testing, and they didn't mention much about contingency plans if there is, in fact, this fall wave that we're talking about with COVID-19, similar to what you talked about with Major League Baseball. But these all make sense to me in terms of guidelines. Mm. But, Kev, this is going to be hard for players to follow, right, like in terms of the meeting rooms and that kind of stuff. What's your reaction? It's really difficult to have an, have a football practice and then tell people you need to stay six feet apart when you're at your lockers. It does come off a little silly. I mean, if you've ever been in the trenches, right? I mean, I played yeah. offensive line in, in high school. Like, you could not be closer, right? right? And now, That's like, the idea yeah. is like, oh, keep me away from that. Like, so you are literally ramming your heads into one another. And then it's like, all right, we got to stay apart now. It, right. it, like, how are they going to catch on Zoom in half an hour? 
Right. Like, how are they, how are they going to do huddles? Like, and listen, I understand that these rules are being delivered because it is supposed to, they're trying to be helpful. They're trying yeah. to be safe, right? That's right, yeah. But I think what you alluded to there is why, for some people, it came off a little silly, is, look, I want to know what you're doing with testing. I, I, want, I want to know what your contingency plan is if somebody has COVID. To be honest with you, like, how are you really going to enforce these locker room rules? Nobody's going to be in the locker room to see. Like, that stuff is secondary. And I'm not saying that it is unnecessary. It is what it is. I think the bigger questions are um, situations that kind of involve them figuring out their testing format. And I guess even furthermore, Dane, this has to do with just how far away they are, is that right. they basically still get to wait. I don't remember exactly when a training camp would start. They're talking about July. They're talking about Early? July. That's the last, um, you know, the Maybe. last thing I said I saw from Goodell, yeah. and I'll I'll start to bring some up. But yes, that is what they were talking about. Because um, they, you know, they issue the protocols to come on back to the facilities, and they are starting. You know, they're intending to start on time. Here's a quote from uh, Goodell that they have floated the idea of starting training camps as soon as mid-July, Tev, okay? It says, quote-unquote, to give players a chance to get back in football shape after an off-season of virtual work. Um, the CBA currently says that they can report 47 days before the first regular season game, which would put you in mid to late July. So I think, right, it's like, oh, this is where, this is where it's funny. Yeah. They have all this opportunity to wait and see. Not really in that spot, right? If guys are going to be coming in regularly and you're not going to be testing, now you are a bit behind the eight ball. Now, again, and, and look, I'm not a doctor. I don't know if it has to be daily testing. I don't know right. if, if it's symptomatic, asymptomatic, antibody sure. tests. I don't know. But that is where the NFL now is not off the hook because right. that's going to take place before Orlando, right? And by Orlando, I talk about the NBA, right? Mm -hmm. You, they need to figure something out i think them kind of being a contingency plan if in the middle of october they go oh crap the season's canceled yeah, yeah i i don't you know what i can't I, i'd love to know what their plan is but they obviously have no idea how could anyone have an idea they're going to try and keep us on the course of we're just gonna hope the season rolls through yeah um and i, I do think they're going to be able to follow the leader on this though you're right that the nba may not be back in mid-July, but the protocols for testing and that sort of stuff would be well, in place that they okay. could probably follow the blueprint on, no? Let me let me then, they still have a blueprint, uh, they can still follow the blueprint laid out by okay. the NBA, but from what the information we have is, they've not currently implemented that. So what I'm trying to basically right. say is, they can't in mid-July, if someone says, hey, why are you not testing? They now have to answer that question. Sure. And previously, they've not had to answer anything like anything in that degree at all. I think that's fair, Kevin. And, you know, we will see or maybe we won't see how that yeah. piece of the sausage gets made. I want to turn our attention today. We're starting a new division. We finished off the NFC West yesterday talking about the Niners and the Seahawks and how they may be again in the last regular season game, but a lot on the line. We go to the AFC East today and, and we're going to shine our light on the Miami Dolphins, Kev. You know, and they've been a, a, a talked about team. In this offseason, right, because of the process, tanking for Tua, there was no player talked about probably more in the NFL draft than Tua Tagovailoa. We also, you know, have heard a lot of things about uh, Brian Flores, the head coach. He was very vocal during the, um, you know, during protests and some of the things that are happening in this country these days. And then also, you know, Kev, I'd be remiss if we didn't talk about, you know, uh, the game lost Don Shula in the last week as well, right? The all-time winningest coach in the NFL passing away. Obviously, the Dolphins, you know, will be um, honoring Don Shula in this year. But, you know, I think Miami did a lot of good stuff. They brought in some former Patriots on defense, right? They had like 11 draft picks, including five in the first two rounds, using one to trade for Matt Breida in, as well. Um, there's a lot of changing faces here, but I think, and I want to get your take, Kev, I think they're building up that defense. Flores knows what he likes. A few former Patriots were brought on in. Listen, do I think they're going to be playoff contenders? Not necessarily, but I trust the process. I think they are building in the right way, Kev. What do you think? 
Yeah, I, I think that, you know, I've, we've talked about them a little bit in passing as yeah. we've, you know, gone through team by team. And there's someone I've said I, I could find myself maybe higher on them than the consensus. A lot of it will depend, I think, how the schedule kind of pans out for them. They had a lot of good stuff happen to them this offseason, I felt mm-hmm. like. I think they, they did a nice job spending their money. Brian Flores, I feel like I am as high on as any newer head coach sure. in the league. Um, okay. what's, what's difficult for this team is the quarterback situation. Right. You have Ryan Fitzpatrick, the variance lord himself. I mean, remember in Tampa Bay when he was the yes. best quarterback in football? Remember yes. when that was like a thing that was going yes. on? He did the same thing for the Jets in limited duty. Right. And then he like is on the same team the next year and he's like just terrible and he's throwing five picks. Like yeah. that's who the quarterback is. So I don't know what's going to happen there. Or the quarterback's to a chunk of Iloa. Health is this interesting push and pull. I lean towards healthy. He okay. still might be healthy and not get the nod because they might just still lean with Fitzpatrick. We don't really know. And then it's, okay, what is Tua Tungavailoa going to be? Hasn't played football in a long time right. because the season was cut short. What is Tua Tungavailoa going to be? Maybe, Dane, maybe the team that the NFL preseason is most interesting mm. for is the Miami Dolphins. The only other team that comes to mind is I the Chicago one. Bears. That's to one. <laughs> yeah, fine, of course. Of course. Right? Is the Chicago, it's the only other team that comes to mind. Yep. But, you know, because the Derek Carr, Mariota stuff. Yeah. Right. I, well, well, to that point, real quick, Kev, you know, there are still four teams right now that mm-hmm. FanDuel has the lineup of who will be the starting quarterback in week one. Right? Okay. Those four teams are the Patriots, who we're going to talk about this week as well. Right? Uh, the Chargers, who we've talked about with the Herbert rod the bears who you just mentioned and then these miami dolphins where what would you hang it at right now if, if you have i don't know if you've seen it or not but i was a little surprised fitzpatrick right now is minus 550 to be the week one starter Tua at plus 370 that sounds to me like it's going to be the magic at least to start the season whether that's health whether that's familiarity in the pandemic not getting up to speed or whether that's trying to have the more traditional baton pass mid-season, I'm not sure. But that's heavy money. That's minus 550 for Fitz. Yeah, I actually saw this line like the day after the draft. And I was like, oh, two is great value. And at the time, two was like 250, 200. So it's changing. And it's going in the Fitzpatrick direction. So it's really difficult for me to tell. Is this just this thing of the guy who has the the built-in relationships is going to get the nod because of the COVID times? I mean, there are still people out there, Dane, that are saying, hey, you think two are red shirts this year? I mean, what a really, really difficult situation, I think, to sift through. Yeah, we'll figure it out. Remember, Josh Rosen is there, too. When we come back, we look at the draft and we look at the futures market for the Miami Dolphins. Fins up. All right, everybody, welcome back to the early line. Kevin and I today are discussing the Miami Dolphins. We believe they are a very interesting team. They were a very interesting team going into the draft. We all knew they were kind of tanking. They wound up with the fifth pick because Fitzpatrick messed around and won some games for them last year, but they still ultimately wound up with the prize that most people thought they were hashtag tanking for for over a year. But, you know, for me, Kev, I also want to touch on the fact that they did not draft a running back, which I think was interesting. You and I were on the draft my coverage, Kevin. We mm-hmm. had also Craig Mish, the Dolphins insider, who, you know, at the end of the first round, into the beginning of the second round, he was thinking they were going to go running back, right? He was thinking that they were a contender for a guy like a DeAndre Swift with their, you know, pick uh, what was like number 26 overall or very early in the second round. You know, they went to a, then they get the old lineman in Austin Jackson in the middle of the first round. But then they went with your boy Noah Igbagini, I believe, is the cornerback mm-hmm. out of Auburn late. They eschewed the running back continuously, getting another lineman in the second round. And then they traded for Matt. Breeder. Yeah. 
They brought in Jordan Howard. And I think, Kevin, honestly, that is a testament to the way we've been talking about, about filling the running back room by committee instead of drafting one of these big boys, right, who will paint you in a financial puzzle down the road, a la Dalvin Cook is doing right now, instead piecing it all together because they're going quantity the way a lot of other teams are. I was actually impressed that they chose this course of action to restock the running back room where there are bigger holes and priorities on the roster. Yeah, I think that they've they've got a nice balance. You know, yeah. The one thing that you'd like to try to avoid when it comes to the Howard Breida split is predictability. Yeah. Um, but the the funny thing is the the example I offer you is James White, Sonny Michelle in New England. Absolutely but it worked for New England because they're New England. So don't fall into some like idea that like. You don't want to be too predictable in what no, you No, absolutely. Jordan I'm Howard reminded of a season with the Jets where their two backs were Chris Ivory and LaDainian Tomlinson. Okay, and it was like, oh, Ivory's on the field? We know what's coming. LDT was on the field? Oh, watch for him on the wheel route. And to your point, Howard, as you know, Philly in, in, in Chicago, is more of your prototypical early down between the tackles back, whereas Brita, even in San Francisco, was the patch-catching dude, right? So it could be a tell as to the personnel on the field. Yeah, and you just want to try to avoid that. Howard struggled with drops throughout his career. He can catch a bit. The thing is, Breda's probably a better runner than people would probably give him credit for. Yeah. I think, you know, he's he's going to be really interesting in, in this mm -hmm. offense. And, um, you know, this could be a touchdown versus reps type of split, I would say, maybe, between those two backs. Yeah. Um, but I, I think that they addressed I think that they addressed the running back room plenty fine. I do think you look at the spots that they had, and, yeah, they, the fact that they could have got the first running back off the board. And, right. boy, that would have been interesting, right? Because, again, we've talked about this so many times. Right. Just, like, all of these rookies landing in spots where they don't have this clear-cut work. Exactly. If Miami would have drafted any of them, right. Clyde, Taylor, Swift, they're – yeah, even Do probably even Dobbins. Then they're, they're probably, a then they're like where Edwards Hilaire is in the rankings, right? right. Their path to you know bell cow status, mm -hmm. which we've kind of been talking about, which is now few and far between. They could have done that, you know, in Miami. So it is very interesting. Let me give you some of the futures odds here, some of the futures numbers here, Kev, for the Miami Dolphins, because you know this is an intriguing team. It's like it's almost like. Some people are going to be on the train, right, on the bandwagon, on the gravy train, and some are going to be like, not so fast. Let's see it before I believe in it. But their win total is six, Kevin, on the number. And for a team where there was literally last year at this time bets on would they go 0-16, Right. The fact that their win total is six is a dramatic improvement. They're not projected to be a playoff team. Minus 600. No. Plus 400. Yes. If you think they take a full on step, you can get four to one odds there. They're plus 750 in the division, which now has co-favorites in Buffalo and New England. We'll talk about those two teams later on this week. And then, you know, in some individual ones. We talked about Tua versus Fitzpatrick uh, for week one. Heavy juice to Fitzpatrick. You've talked about Burrow. As the rookie of the year, he's at like plus 220, plus 250 on FanDuel. At plus 750 is Tua. You know, we've talked about that vis-a-vis -vis Herbert and opportunity. So we'll see if there's value there. Um, Brian Flores, if you think he's, you know, takes a dramatic step forward and it's because of his coaching. He's 24 to 1 for coach of the year. And the one other one that I'll give you on one of those superlatives that I think is interesting. I don't think it's a win, but I think it's value. Kev, 37 to 1 for Devontae Parker to lead the league in receiving yards, um, which, you know, I don't think he's a favorite. We've talked about Evans and Thomas and all those guys, but I gave out Cooper Cup at 30 to 1. You gave yeah. out Kelsey um, Kittle at 60 yeah. to 1. Devontae Parker, who a lot of people saw take a huge step forward, 37 to 1. I could see him being a contender or at least, you know, outperforming those odds. So I'll stop there. What are your initial leans on some of these Dolphins futures bets? So there's a couple that, that pique my interest. Okay. Um, Brian Flores, coach of the year. Hmm. They last year finished 32nd in defensive DVOA. Yeah. Now they started to improve a little bit as the year ended. Oh, and they've also added guys like Byron Jones and Kyle Van Noy. Defense right. is going to be better. Yeah. And, and Van Noy knows Flores from their time in New England. Absolutely. So the thing is, even it's kind of like figuring out bars that teams have to clear or players have to clear to be given certain awards. 
Mahomes yeah. needs to win the AFC, right? Best record, I should say, probably to get MVP, right? Drew Brees needs to win the South to get MVP. Right, right, right. Those are, right? The Dolphins just need to be a wild card team, probably, for Brian Flores to be a strong candidate for coach of the year. I think he's an interesting play there. On this team as a whole, I would ask you, Dan, when you go through your division winners, right? Yep. How often do you find yourself having the best quarterback in the division winning the division? I would say it's pretty overwhelming, right? I mean, the Niners are the favorites. You like Seattle. A lot of that has to do with Russell Wilson. Sure. More than understandable. Yes. When we debate Packers or Vikings, yes. Rodgers getting the edge over Cousins has a lot to do with it. So I look at the, the only division I would say is in the AFC South. Mm-hmm. In the AFC South, we've talked about the Colts. Yep. And I, I, you know, and if I had to line up the quarterbacks, and we've done like that draft thing, right? We're going to talk about that later on in the week. I think Deshaun Watson's the best quarterback in that division, though. Right. Okay. So that, and that's definitely. A, but that's a an outlier. Example. But that's an outlier to your point. Right. Clear example. So I look at the AFC East, and I look at the quarterbacks. Yeah. And I look at Jared Stidham, who no one believes in. Right. I mean, nobody other than Bill believes him. Right. Mr. and Mrs. Stidham. That's quarterback in the AFC East, Kev. Now, hold on a minute now. Hold on a minute. It was okay. slow, slow burn here. Okay. Then we've got Sam Darnold, who I liked coming out, right? But he's had his moments, and then he's had other moments where I don't know what's going on. Yeah, right? Well, he's not coaching mono, but okay. Right. No, I mean, yeah, those are a lot of things that have happened to him on yeah, 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 yeah. Josh Allen, ironically enough, is mm-hmm. fits the description more of what people say Lamar does. He's more of a runner than a thrower. Josh Allen, call it what it is. It's just the case. And now you've got Tua Tungavailoa, yeah. who enters this division with the most pedigree of the group. And I know we don't know what it is. Now, I'm not saying that I would tell you Tua is the best quarterback in this division, because I'm not sitting here trying to offer you a scorching hot take and yep. be like, oh, look at what I said. But I will offer you this. He certainly can be the best quarterback in this division. We can end this season and we go, yeah, Tua. Like this year? This yes. year? Yeah. I've, the, the bar isn't super high. I, it just it just isn't. That's kind of the point that I'm making here with Miami is if you were to try and find, Dane, the dark horse sleeper, right? Ultimately, the love that you and I share for the Browns, they're like favored to make the playoffs. Does that count? Miami's a team that you can make some very interesting cases for. I think as you look through the roster construction that they've built, the fact that Brady left the division and the fact that they might, by season's end, we come away saying they've got the best quarterback in the division. Um, I think that is intriguing, um, and I only will push back on some of it. Uh, by the way, Cleveland... Well, all of it. I'm, I'm, I'm... <laughs> no, no, by the way, Cleveland is actually minus 130 to not make the playoffs. Oh, okay, so that's... Um, I was going to say, you know, my Chargers are in that mix as a team that's no my, no money at minus 180, no to make the playoffs that I would kind of put. But you do make a good point. And, you know, I'm going to push back, but it's part of it is the homer in me, right? First of all, in ADP, Josh Allen is QB7 this year. Okay, right. so that's well, we a pretty that high is. barrier. We know that that's a lot of the running as well, you know, and some of the weapons that he has just been added. Stefan, can you dig it among them? You did, however, say that he's got, like, the, the best pedigree. And this is where my homerism will come in. Like, Sam Darnold in college and as a prospect was very highly rated. Okay, that year when it was Baker, Josh Allen, Sam Darnold, Lamar Jackson, the conventional wisdom all the way until running up to the draft was that Sam Darnold was the dude, okay? Ahead of Rosen, ahead of Allen. Allen was out of like Wyoming. People didn't give him, you know. And then if you remember, there was a lot of late buzz and steam on Baker Mayfield. And that's what the Browns ultimately pushed him. I would actually say that Sam Darnold was um, as much of a blue chip prospect as to a Tiger Valoa. And yes, it has been um, an up and down bumpy road with coaches and no O-line and the mono. I fully believe Sam Darnold can still take a step forward, but your point is well taken about Tua. So it's gonna be interesting, Kev. When we go game by game, which is what we're going to do, it sounds like you believe that Fitz will start the season, but then there will be a time 
Well, that's the, the baton has passed. So when we go game by game, you're going to have to tell me when that happens. No, but that's the problem with this whole thing. That's the problem with the Dolphins as a whole, right? Okay. Fitz is – I mean, the odds are telling you Fitz is going to start the year. Right. I don't know what Brian Fitzpatrick is going to do. Point blank period, I just don't know what he's going to do. Here's what I know. He can keep Tua on the sideline for a while. How much magic does he have? <laughs> the thing is, if he gets yanked, it's not a good thing, right? Unless it's like Tom Savage getting yanked in the first right. half for Deshaun Watson to then come in in his rookie season, right? With like the Bill yeah. O'Brien, I can't believe you even wasted you. a half of a game. Unless it's that, that could already set them behind the eight ball. That's why they are, to me, a team that's very, very difficult to pin down. I think they have... I think they have a chance to win the division, right? And I know people say, anybody has a chance. They have more than a, anybody has a chance to win the division. They also have the chance to be a year away. Right. And, like, definitively, you watch them and go, oh, not happening this year. Yeah. And it sounds like, I mean, you know, they're plus 750 to win the division. And I hear you with it kind of being open with the uh, departure of Tom Brady, right? And that opens the door for everybody on some level. We're going to go game by game. I think we're going to differ on this team, Kev, because I think I may lean more under here that it's going to take time, whereas you maybe think that, you know, out of the gate, these guys may realize some of the potential that they've been tanking for in short order. We'll go game by game and see where we land. Come on back. It's Fins Up Dolphins Talk after this. Welcome back in, everybody, to the early line here on SportsGrid. Dane and Kevin shining a light on the Miami Dolphins, who we both think are going to be an interesting team. The question is, right, Kev, is like, are you a year too soon? Are we trying to be too smart and be the guy who accurately picks the breakout? You know, and, and that's... That is kind of the essential question here. One last thing I want to mention before, as we set the stage for this schedule. I don't know if you know this, Kev, but my, it's tough to go down to Miami in September. Um, it, there's always a team that goes down there in like the first three weeks of the season. And literally because of the heat, you know, they, they, they kind of uh, suffer a loss. It happens a lot. Ironically, though, the Pat, excuse me, um, the Dolphins are not at home in Florida. They only are for like one of their first uh, of their first three games, the games in September. I just wanted to put that out because maybe it helps you for that one game. I always think that that's a real thing to follow. And I know sometimes you look at the travel, you look at the schedule. Do you believe in that also in general, like the warm weather teams going up to Buffalo or whatever in December and vice versa, the teams come down to Florida when it's still hot and humid early in season? Yes. I mean, it, it matters for sure. It's okay. it's difficult to tell how much it matters for certain teams. Does and it matter more or less than you to you than like, you know, West Coast flying east, East Coast flying west, that thing? No. I would say I care more about time travel. Okay. <laughs> time travel. Right. Get in um, your hot tub time machine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And here we go. Uh, week one, though, they are at New England. They start off Flores against the mentor. Yeah, uh, listen, this is one of those spots that it's it's a it's tough for me. I'm edging New England at home. Yeah. Belichick has been good against guys that he's kind of mentored coaches, yeah. in a way. Um, but you want to talk about like what an awesome start to the year, right? Because if the Patriots defense was or is what it was last year, like Fitz legitimately could be benched this game, right? But also if Jared, Jared Stidham's terrible, like this mm. game would be super interesting. This game, boy, do I want week one to be tomorrow. Right. No, it does sound interesting. But ultimately, you're leaning New England here. Then they come home week two, the home opener. This is the game I was looking at. Buffalo, a cold weather team's got to go steamy, humid Miami on September 20th. Yeah, I'm still leaning um, Buffalo in this okay. one. Just I think that their defense, and this is where I find myself struggling. I think this is, you know, I put in my notes, under type of game. Because yeah. I just don't know what this Dolphins week-to-week -week offense is going to be. 
All right, fair enough. You got him going 0-2. Then a very interesting matchup, okay? In week three, Thursday night football. They get the road trip. It's not really that bad. They stay in the state of Florida. Ironically, this is Thursday night football. It is Dolphins at Jags. Interesting note on this one, Kevin. This is the only standalone game on the schedule for Miami and for Jacksonville. This is their only primetime game. It is in Jacksonville. Short week for Miami at Jacksonville. What do you say here? Miami's trying to win. Jacksonville's not. Yeah, I'm surprised that they didn't risk it a bit more with Tua. Even maybe a like a later prime time game. Put later on in the season one more time yeah. to showcase them. Because I think there might be a game of Bengals. There is. Dolphins. Week 13 against Cincinnati, Burrow and Tua it could have been. Yeah, I don't know what they're rolling with out there. It looks like, I mean, yeah, Thursday night's Dallas Ravens. It's a, you know, you got to. A hey, schedule Sunday night. Gotta get these kind of nondescript teams one national game, and yeah. this is it. What do you got going down here in Jacksonville week three? Yeah, I'm going. I'm going with the uh, the Dolphins. I, I think that if they're going to be making this leap that you and I are discussing here, Same then business. this has to be the type of game that they win. All right, fair enough. Uh, then they come back home. The Seahawks come to town. Longest flight possible. In the National Football League, I know we did Seattle recently. I know you say the road trips across country for the 1 o'clock start do matter, but is the talent too much in Seattle? I think when you think about that, not only that travel, but the Dolphins off of a mini-buy and still Ooh. remaining at home, I think those are the type of things that give the Dolphins an edge in this matchup. All right, so you got them picking off the Seattle Seahawks. That's an interesting one. So that gets them to two and two after one month of the season, okay? Wow. So they're feeling good about themselves. Let me ask you something. In your opinion, is this Fitzpatrick getting them to two and two? Mm-hmm. Um, I've opted in my head to just approach it with Tua as That's, kind of a quarterback because okay. it's, the, it's the easiest way for me to do it. Good context. So, yeah. All right, fair enough. They go two and two. Then they go to San Francisco to see the Niners. You got um, a huge yeah. upset here. This would be. Yeah, it's not happening. Okay. I like that. I could, I could tell you're like, yeah, let's just move past this one. Because, yeah, no, yeah. of course, I mean, I'm not going to. really need to spend time on it. Back-to-back road trips, though. They stay out west and go to Denver. This could be a battle of young quarterbacks, Tua and Drew Locke. It sure could. But I think the type, like, that's. So when you actually write about, like, weather and different things, I just yeah. even think, like, a young quarterback in Denver will Fair. always worry me a bit. So I'm leaning towards Miami. It's a winnable game, but I'm okay. leaning towards Miami. I mean, well, I'm listen, sorry, Denver rather. Denver rather. Denver. Leaving towards Denver. That has them going two and four. So I understand. There's some of these games that are, you know, closer to coin tosses. You had them losing this one. You do, however, have them upsetting Seattle. So, I mean, it balances itself out. Then they come home. Another long flight for their opponent. The Chargers come to town. This could be a battle of rookie quarterbacks. Herbert could be under center by then. Herbert versus Tua, potentially. I actually think it's more likely to be Fitzpatrick versus Terod. But yeah. what say you? This will be in Miami against the Chargers. It's funny, right, that it like legitimately could just not be even remotely involving those guys. Um, I lean, though, towards the home team here. Um, I, think it's, I think it's a nice little spot for Miami to return home. Okay, they stay at home. Another team flies across country, this time from L.A., and this time it's the Rams. The Rams come in, same spot, 1 o'clock Eastern, team flying west to east. Uh, what you got? This is a good spot for Miami. Yeah. Now, I give this game to the Rams, okay. but I'll tell you what. I Part of this was I, just, I had the Rams on a bit of a roll here, and Miami wow. was on the short side of it. And also, if you remember, I had the Rams slipping up against Washington. So it's kind of this, like, they're not going to slip up twice. But there's a couple things working in the favor. Also, the Rams are off of a Monday night football game. So this is one of those games, like, when we kind of— weekend travel. Yeah, when you recap it, you might say that this is a game that Miami deserves more consideration than I've given them. Okay, that's fair. But now, sitting there after eight games, half the season, remember, with their win total at six, you have them three and five in the first half of the season. So on pace, shall we say. Let's see if they pick it up in the second half. They then make a trip to Arizona to see the Cardinals in week nine. Yeah, the Cardinals are uh, home off their bye. Arizona. Fair enough. They then travel cross-country back to the eastern seaboard to New York. I mean, excuse me, they host the Jets. It's in Miami. Yeah, and the Jets also are playing a Monday night game here. Ah. Unlike the Rams, I'll give this one to the Dolphins. Fair enough. So they get a win there to go four and six. Then they have a week 11 bye. Okay, and I I note this because this is a traditional spot in the calendar where Mm. the baton could be passed, right? Mm. You give them the extra week. 
yeah. uh, right, to install the offense, what have you. And then this is a very interesting quirk of the schedule. Um, they have the bye week in week 11. And this could even be another reason where the baton could be passed here. Because in week 10, if, and I know you have two under center a lot earlier in the season, but in my kind of vantage point, what could happen is week 10, Tua could be holding the clipboard watching, right, against mm -hmm. the Jets' defense. Then week 11 by, he gets in the saddle. They make stuff that works for him. And then week 12, he's under center against the same New York Jets. Interesting that these teams see each other two times in three weeks with the bye in between. Week 12, it's at MetLife against the Jets. How weird is that, though? Is like, weird. essentially back-to-back -back games. Right. Uh, the Jets are the Jets are also off of a bye week. Yeah, so they're yeah, yeah. This is the case with the Jets also. They get Miami by Miami. And we've talked about, like, if you lose the first one in right. a two out of three kind of thing, everything here points towards the Jets with the Dolphins getting that first result. Okay, fair enough. Does that make sense to you, though, Kev? Could yeah, this no, be for a sure. target time for the baton to be passed? Because Tua would see the defense up close and personal from the sidelines, then have the bye week to prepare for the familiar opponent. I know you've got Tua out the gate week one, but I kind of see a universe where Fitzpatrick is the starter week one. He's minus 550 to do so. Holds the fort down. You know, he's got this hip, you know, so um, and I'll, this I'll could be a time. I'll say I'll, I'll say two things that that back that up is yeah. one, um, it it just it works because you're three and five. It's a good time to make a change, but you're also kind of not out of it with the expanded right. playoffs. Secondly, if they make that change, it somewhat changes the idea of playing the same team twice in three weeks because now it's a quarterback change and it gives the Dolphins a better chance to try and maybe take yeah. both of that. It's an interesting, interesting way to go about it. Yeah, and that's why I, I do think this could be a spot. Keep your eye on the Week 11 bye. Um, then, so you have them now after their, you know, back-to-back -back games against the Jets. You have them 4-7. and seven. They mm -hmm. go back home, and this one I do believe will be a battle of rookies. I think this will be the number one pick versus the number five pick, Burrow versus Tua in Miami Week 13. It's the Bengals. Here's a crazy little note for you. The yeah. Bengals enter this game on a three-game win streak based on some things okay. that I've gone back. Things that I've kind of gone back and okay. worked out. The idea of the Bengals winning four games in a right. row, that doesn't land for me. So I've got the Dolphins. You got the Dolphins. That gets them to five and seven with four games left to play. The next two are going to be tough. They are home and they have a three-game homestand here, which is interesting. You had them beating Cincy. The next two weeks, big boys come to town. Kansas City followed by New England. How do you have that stretch? It's a split losing to the Chiefs, but beating New England at home, I especially like we know that New England is one of those teams that, you know, playing in Miami is always tough for them. Miami has always picked off the Dolphins, whether it be that last second miracle where Rob Gronkowski couldn't yeah. take the angle playing safety or other times. Remember also the invention, not the invention, but the emergence of the Wildcat back in the day with Ronnie Brown. That happened. New England in Miami. So fair enough. You have them now six and eight. With two games left to go, they are both on the road. Uh, I don't know if you get them and either one of these to get their win total. Week 16, they're at Las Vegas, which may be the one they can get. Week 17 would be at Buffalo, prototypical warm weather team on January 3rd, going up north. And a lot of people believe the Bills will have something to play for here at Vegas, at Buffalo. Vegas is uh, home off of a mini buy. So it's a good spot for Vegas. And yeah, it's tough for me. A team enters six and nine against the Buffalo Bills team that for all should need this game somehow, some way. And they're home. It's both. It's a pair of losses for the Dolphins to close. All it right. Out. So Kevin, their win total was six on the number. You have them at six on the number going six and 10. So with this being said, yeah. uh, tell me what you think. That's not enough to get Flores, the coach of the year. I don't yeah. know if it's enough to get Tua, the rookie of the year or some of these other bets. Are you more comfortable saying no playoffs? Maybe you don't want to touch the win total, alternate total lines, you know, things of that nature. After this exercise, now what are you thinking about I, the Dolphins? I personally, they're just not a team. I don't, I really, I struggle to play because I just don't know what the quarterback situation is going to look like. Like you might say a six and 10 record for two is enough to be competitive in it. But also if they go your way, he's going to play five weeks. He has no chance to win rookie of the year. Then it's hard. Six and 10 is not good enough to get floors, the head coach of the year. I looked through this. I, you know, I had him beating the Seahawks. That's pretty kind. 
Maybe they get the Jets twice. I don't know about that. Right. Like, there's some scheduling quirks where you could argue this works out for them. They're a tough team to pin down, man. All right, so maybe he's not betting on them, but let's see who he'll have on his fantasy team when we come back. We got Dolphins, Diamonds, and Fugazis on the early line. Welcome back in, everybody, to the early line here on Sports Grid. We are giving you the edge on the Miami Dolphins today. And, you know, we go through the exercise, Kevin, and sometimes, especially with the win totals on the half, right, it's a little bit different because, you know, sometimes we get a two-game margin or even a one-and-a-half game margin. And in those situations, you know, there's, there's a window there for you to go ahead and make that bet. With the Dolphins, it wasn't as much, right? The total is six. We found them. You got them to six and ten. You know, it would be interesting for you to put more faith in Tua or the team to on the on the yes side, right? This team could go off the rails. It's interesting. You have them beating, you know, like Seattle coming in. So there's a lot of variance there. So maybe the way to skin this cat is on the fantasy side. Mm -hmm. I'm reminded of something you said earlier when we were talking about the draft picks and their running back room. You talked about Matt Breida and you talked about Jordan Howard and how the split could really lean Howard when it comes to touchdowns, goal line, short yardage, and Matt Breida, the kind of um, year 2020 back, shall we say, right? Where being able to be more elusive, being able to add value in the pass game, that's not something Jordan Howard really was. Um... Which of these running backs are you drafting first, all things considered? And I'll tell you their ADPs. So I would have to, between between that duo, I feel out, like yeah. I'd rather Brita because typically in a split, you value the pass catching work. And I would say that Brita is a much better running back than Jordan Howard is a pass catcher. Okay. Um, they're close, Kev. Okay. They're real close. And they are both inside the territory that we would consider the flex, right? Okay. And for people of those who um, have not been with us for all these shows, when we do this, we make assumptions about a 12-team league. So your RB1s are those who are technically ranked 1 through 12. Your RB2s are those ranked 13 through 24. And then the flex play, which a lot of times can be the running back or the wide out, what have you, we still go down to number 36. Both of the Dolphins' backs are between 25 and 36, Kev. Um, and there's not a big gap between them. Breida is 33. Howard is 36. Uh, so with that context, uh, where do you think you would go? I'll also give you 34 and 35 so you can see the two names mm -hmm. that, at least in ADP, Currently, and these are things that are, are shifting a little bit now as more and more people start to turn their attention and more and more drafts are actually happening. So I'll give you that. We've seen variants, right, with, you know, A.J. Brown moving a yeah. lot, why Hilton Keenan Allen, guys like that. I mentioned um, – oh, and let me get this up because this is an interesting uh, note. And you know how I've made the note about um, best ball backs? Yeah. Uh, best ball with some wide receivers. The, I'll make a note here. Jordan Howard is the kind of back that if you are playing still in a standard scoring situation, mm -hmm. he should get bumped up, okay? Because of the point you just made, Kevin, right? You lean with the pass catching back in those PPR formats, but that means you're more prototypical in between the tackles slogging backs, like even a Derrick Henry, let's say. They get a slight bump when all the other backs can't get their production in the pass game, right? So I do think um, Howard is the kind of back that I would bump up in standard scoring, and that point needed to be made. The two backs in between Matt Breida and Jordan Howard are Sony Michelle and Philip Lindsay. Um, so wow. that being said, with wow. Breida at 33 and Howard at 36, are either one of these guys considered a diamond or a fugazi for you? You want to? You couldn't ask for two better backs to be positioned in between them. Because Michelle is the prototypical behind yeah. the tackle, like Howard, and Lindsay is you know, the role of the Matt Breida. It is interesting, yes. And I'll give you, I'll go even further. The one right above Breida is Tariq Cohen. Same kind of back. Wow, that's really interesting, man. Cohen, though, I think, but go ahead. I think of, of that whole group that we've mentioned, Sony Michelle is the one that intrigues me the most. 
because I could see them maybe wanting to lean on the run game a little bit more. Right ahead of Sony Michelle right. in this category at number twenty-nine. Same kind of thinking. God, what a weird. I know there's a wasteland. It's like, do you want the pass guy or do you want the touchdown guy? Yeah, that's a really weird group of backs. And I, here's the other thing that's tough with this Dolphins team, right? I mean, it continues in that range. That's where you get guys like Ronald Jones and Keyshawn Vaughn. <laughs> that's where you get the carry-on Johnson, you know? That's where you're getting those kind of B-sides, good B-sides that play that role. Let me ask you this, right? Yeah. So they were 6-10 and 10 as I went through it, and I think based on your reactions, you could see them anywhere from 5 to 7 wins, right? Maybe give or take. That might, might be the range. Yes. Okay, fine. So the question is, like, the defense got better. They lose games, right? Are they getting blown out? Like, how much do we – would we – are they the type of team that says, I'll take the pass catching back because they're playing from behind all the time? Or are they just losing close games because they're well, not ready to win tight games yet? Here's what I'll tell you. The Miami Dolphins of last year yeah. were dead last in the league in point differential. They lost by 11.7 points a game. Okay, they had the worst points allowed in the NFL. So by that logic, they're getting blown out. So I don't know if that's the defense you want. However, the schedule smiles upon them, right? You get Jared Stidham right out the gate in his week one. We don't know what he's going to be. We've talked about some rookie quarterbacks on their schedule. So maybe the schedule smiles upon the Dolphins' defense, right? Jacksonville, yeah, they actually, to me, fit the description of what we were talking about yesterday. Right. Uh, you were like, oh, would you, would you pay it for the Niners? And I'm like, I'd like to try and draft a defense that I can start week one and then maybe a couple weeks after that. And to draw Jared Stidham, Josh Allen, and Gardner Minshew to start your season, I mean, with the defensive leaps that they've taken forward, yeah. I think I'll take that. I think, I, I think, in fact, that I would be very, very happy with that. The Buffalo one would scare me a little bit, but I hear you. Here's my thing with the Buffalo thing. The John Brown, Stefan Diggs pairing against Xavier Howard and Byron Jones, with Josh Allen having to be the one to make the difference, is where I'm like, oh, okay, I think maybe I can live with that. Like, I think maybe running teams, and I know that they are going to run, but, like, it, it'll be interesting to see how Buffalo would kind of manage that defense. But the thing is, right, and I looked quickly somewhere else, Dan, I don't know if you have defensive ADPs there. I can get I it, mean, yeah. I think I saw the Dolphins as, like, the 30th defense. Now, they were the worst defense in football last year, right? So I'm not sitting here saying, oh, this is an elite defense. I'm not right. saying that. Yeah. But if we all like Brian Flores, who's a defensive-minded coach, and we acknowledge that they added a number of pieces to the defensive side of the football, 30th? I mean... I hear you. I think a lot, far fewer people think about the schedule like you're doing. Okay, and I think you're right to do so. But when these defensive rankings come out, I don't think the early schedule is something that's in people's minds. I think it's like last year's rankings plus what they did last year. So you're right. This may be if you want to not draft a defense and then pick up Miami for the first three weeks of the season, I think that is a viable way to attack it. And that's why we're giving everybody the edge here on sports right. when their leagues and win their cash. Go ahead, Kev. I do want to get to the wide receivers in some yeah. other positions. And we do only have about four minutes. Very quick question. Just DFS, right? Yeah. New England is significantly higher week one than Miami in that matchup. But the defense? Yeah. I think so, yes. Right. I think I think it's interesting. New I England's think so, home, yeah. and I don't know who's going to be the quarterback, but right. I just think it's interesting. Still some open questions there. Remember, I'm looking at the Chargers in Cincinnati week one. I think getting Joe Burrow out the gate is pretty interesting. I want to ask you about the wide receivers. Listen, Devontae Parker is a guy who caught on late last year. He's going as a wide receiver, too. And then there's Preston Williams, the unicorn, right? He's going as wide receiver 51. Right. Now, I'm not saying you want to dig deep for him, but Devontae Parker right now, uh, Kevin is going as wide receiver, and there's been some movement here. He's going as wide receiver 21. He's going as wide receiver 21. So, uh, um, so he's fallen down a little bit, and it's 20 in standard leagues. You know, that PPR. The names right above him. Cortland Sutton, A.J. Brown, Robert Woods, Calvin Ridley, Adam Thielen. I mean, he goes right above yeah. Tyler Lockett, T.Y. Hilton, Stefan Diggs, Terry McLaurin. I, you think I he's think, in the right spot? I think I like the guys that he's like behind 
right? Like, or in front of, rather, more than the guys he's, like, behind. Oh, you, like, Lockett better than, like, A.J. Brown? Yeah, I just feel like that that, that pairing. It's interesting. Devontae Parker, I mean, last year was one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Give or take, he was a wide receiver one last year. Yeah. And, I mean, is there an argument to be, like, are we expecting worse quarterback play? Why is Why is he... Not higher. He sounds a little too low to me. I'm surprised, I guess, maybe is the best way to put it, Dane, that his performance last year has not right. pushed him higher up boards, especially because it's a lot of it had to do with how he finished last year. I hear you. Um, right off the bat, I see three names that are above him that probably had their stock soaring enough to get above him. Those three names, in my opinion, would be A.J. Brown, Cortland Sutton, and Calvin Ridley. Those are guys who I think may have finished behind him last year, but the kind of buzz is more on them this year. That may push him back. Adam Thielen maybe finished behind him last year, but obviously it is in a better situation with no digs. Cooper Cup um, finished ahead of him, so he wouldn't be an example of that. But that's part of the reason why, in my mind, that some of these guys could have leapfrogged him in terms of the buzz. But you're comfortable with him as your wideout, too, or a high-end wideout, too? If I tell you, I give you the rundown of my fantasy team, and my wideouts are something like uh, DeAndre Hopkins, Devontae Parker, and Debo Samuel, you're happy with that group with Parker as my number two? Yeah, I think so. I think Parker as a two is, good. yeah, it feels good. As whereas right. as, as a one, I'd be a little bit more concerned. Exactly, I agree. If he's my one, I don't think you have a strong wide receiver group. If he's your two, I feel good about it. If he's your wide receiver three, then show me the rest of that draft and let me know how to join your league <laughs> next year. I do want to ask about one other player here, Kevin, and it's the tight end, Gusecki. Gusecki, you know, like. You were a Penn State guy, right? Oh, no, Eagles. That's why Miles Sanders. Yeah. Um, but Kosicki was like a matchup nightmare at Penn State. Kind of got out the gate slow. They have him rated here as tight end 12 in ADP in that group that we talk about that's big from like 9 to 17. When right. he's on the board, along with guys like Noah Fant, Hayden Hurst, TJ Hawkinson, Dallas Goddard. Are you going Gasicki or are you going another route? I'm going a different route. I'll tell you the truth. Yeah, I don't I don't think he he's in just that no man's land type of range where I just don't feel like he's gonna be yeah. on my roster. I mean, I know he finished the season strong with some touchdown production, sure. but you know, he was in, he was second last year in targets for this team. Like, do we think that's a repeatable Preston thing? Preston Williams coming back from injury, I think, is a piece of that. Matt Breida now out of the backfield is a piece of that. I'm not going to have Gasecki. I'll tell you what, though, and I didn't have to say, say this formally. Matt Breida is a diamond to me. I mm. think Breida has the ability to severely overperform that 33. He could be the lead dog in this offense, and I like the pass catching ways. But that'll do it for here, Kevin. We're wrapping it up. Another A. FC team on deck. We've got Bundesliga. We've got golf. We've got so much to discuss for the rest of the week. Kevin and I will be here. I hope you are too. Come on back for tomorrow's edition of the Early Line. Have a great day, everybody.